There are many issues that plague youth. The church acts as a safe haven. It provides a place where youth can come together to hear the Word of God. Upper Room Media presents to you this Youth Talk, delivered from Sydney, Australia. Dear beloved uh, Sayyidina John and uh, all the beloved of the Syriac Orthodox Youth Bible Study, I'm really delighted uh, again to be with you. It's a really special thing for me again to uh, reconnect, but also to get to know more of you. And uh, I hope by God's grace, uh, we can really uh, tackle a topic and a subject that really humbles me, reminds me of what is at the foundation and the fundamentals of our our faith and especially our service. So I want to begin with a story. I know that some of you are very familiar with uh, J.R.R. Tolkien, uh, The Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit. I'm not going to do this story justice, but let me give some background and I'll explain why I'm beginning with this story. So J.R.R. Tolkien is a Catholic um, writer from the Oxford group uh, associated with uh, C.S. Lewis. He formed a group called the Inklings, and we know both uh, C.S. Lewis and uh, J.R.R. Tolkien were very close friends. Uh, we know that they uh, really influenced each other. And I want to begin with uh, just saying something very brief about The Lord of the Rings. Uh, definitely Christian themes and lessons could be derived. And I think there is a very important message about service embedded within uh, the story. It's just a very complex story that I'm only deriving just a little strand from. Uh, but it begins, obviously, with a character named Bilbo. Remember Bilbo? He is like a halfling. Uh, he is a hobbit. He is a short person. He is in a, per a place called the Shire, and the Shire is this very beautiful green place. Uh, and there's a backstory to this character whose name is Bilbo. Bilbo uh, is, is noticed or seen with a ring. Looks like this ring, right? Ring. Uh, and this ring um, is a powerful ring. And this powerful ring is known as the One Ring, okay? And that One Ring has power over all other rings. So there are other groups or races of people within this world called Middle-earth in the story, okay? And there are elves that have three of these rings. And then seven rings are with the race of the dwarfs, and then nine rings with the race of men. And there was a desire for power. So there was made in Mordor, in a place called Mount Doom, one ring called the Ring of Power or the One Ring. This one ring had power over all the other rings. So that's sort of important just as a like a context right now. I hope I'm not losing anyone, but let me just keep going. Uh, basically, this ring, this one ring was retrieved from evil power, from the evil forces, and it was lost, okay? 
And then it was found by a character named Gollum. And Gollum is like this fallen hobbit who goes down to the pits of the earth and finds this ring. And the ring is with Gollum for, I believe, thousands of years. And the ring is forgotten, thought to be destroyed. This ring winds up with this, uh, you know, hobbit named Bilbo after it leaves Gollum. Uh, Gandalf, this wizard, this wise wizard, you know, entrusts it to a very simple hobbit. And this hobbit is, uh, his name is Bilbo. And you see in his uh, experience with this ring, like a lust for power. He's like struggling. Every time, every time he, he wants to like maybe get rid of the ring or pass it on to the next uh, hobbit, his name is Frodo. And he calls it my precious, my precious, right? There's like this attachment issue with the power, even though this very small character is powerful. It, it symbolizes Christ. You know, these hobbits, they symbolize Christ because Christ invaded the world and in a way, uh, you know, snuck under the radar like this story is doing so well, right? And basically... The mission is to take this ring and bring it back to this place called Mount Doom to throw it back into the lava or the, the, the mountain of which the ring was cast in or made from. That's the only way you can destroy it. There's a character. His name is Sam Wise Gamgee. And this is a hobbit friend who's with Frodo the whole way. And this is really where I want to go with this story. These two are Christ-like figures. And they're really in the, the, the field of service, right? You could see how they're serving, especially Sam. Sam is trying his best to assist, to support, to help Frodo reach the mission and the objective of destroying the ring. And it's so beautifully done. And I, I believe that we could learn a lesson from sort of the example of service that you see in this character, where he gets mistreated. He gets, uh, you know, not trust. He's not trusted at certain points because there is like a lot of confusion that maybe he wants the ring for himself, but in reality, he, he doesn't. And he's very sacrificial. And he's always jumping into aid and help. There's so many, so many instances when and where we see all of this in this character. This is why I mentioned this story. I hope it wasn't a stretch to say that in this context. But let me then shift into the, the, the topic now. So now we have an image in our head of what service can look like. Our imagination is probably going right now. And we can relate with these stories. And I'm hoping that right now we could get a little bit more into the theology and the, the position of our church when it comes to service. So I want to say that it begins uh, with a definition. So what is the word service or servant, right? 
Uh, are are you are you advancing the slides or or not? Like which which slide are you on? Yeah, I'm on a slide that has the word diakonos in Greek on it. Do you see that? No, we see the first slide, the the topic. Okay, let me see. How about now? Abuna, I think when you probably shared your screen, you just shared that one slide because I've done that before too. So you might have to unshare it and then share it again. Okay, let me see. So stop share. Sorry for all the... I actually decided to go very basic on the slides, knowing that this may be a thing. So here, let's try again. Is that working? There you go. Yep, we yeah. can see it. Yes. OK. So let me begin with the definition of servant. It's coming from a Greek word um, pronounced diakonos. And diakonos is obviously a rank in our church, right? And it's a term that right off the bat gives the impression of subordination. And what do I mean by that? If we have something in the church that is called deacon, which means servant, that must imply that there is a master, right? So there's this, there's this tension between master and servant, right? So in Mark chapter 9, verse 35, and Mark chapter 10, verse 44, we have very foundational verses here that are so important to consider before getting into more details on what the role and the impact of a church servant is. So the first one says, and he sat down and called the 12 and said to them, if anyone desires to be first, he shall be last and of all and servant of all, right? So the, the first shall be last, the last shall be first. We hear this a lot. But what's the key here? The key here is that in order to be number one in service, it means I need to be servant of all. I need to be the last one. The second verse says, and whoever of you desires to be first shall be slave of all. How did we go from servant to slave, right? And I want to bring our attention to that. Should there be any distinction made between slave and servant? And the answer is yes. And what do I mean by this? Obviously, slavery is an issue, right? Uh, if I'm owned by another human person, this is not what God intended, obviously. And my servitude or my slavery could only be to one person, and that is God. That's why there's a very popular name in the Arab world, actually. It's Abdul Masih. Have you heard of this? Abdul Masih. That's my actually... brother. Yes, Sayyidna. He's my brother. Oh, <laughs> it's a beautiful name. I'm going to just simply translate it. Abd means slave, right? It's not servant. Because servant in the Arabic is khadim. But in this uh, name, you have a beautiful meaning. 
Abd al-Masih means slave of Christ. And so being a slave of God is the appropriate thing. But being a servant to all is now what my mission is. So my boss is the master. But my servitude is to the church and to the sheep of the flock. There's one shepherd and one flock. I like to see myself as a sheepdog. You know the sheepdog? The sheepdog helps the shepherd keep the sheep together. I want to say that even St. Paul referred to himself as a bond servant, right? Can you see this picture of St. Paul? Look at him. He's in his chains. He literally does look like a slave. He literally does cry out from prison and does write and preach and teach and continue to serve in the toughest of circumstances. Sorry, my lights went off. I'm just going to move. So I hope I have some sort of definition established now by this point on servant. But the irony, the irony of all of this is that we see in service that Christ is a suffering servant, right? So we have to refer back to the book of Isaiah, chapter 53. Christ calls himself a suffering servant. So by his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities, right? So the Lord Jesus Christ gave us the model of service and servitude. He took the form of a servant, but he is the living God. He is the true God. He is the master. And this is the irony. And this is sort of like what I'm saying about the Frodo and the Bilbo character. There's a radical difference, a very short, small thing going up against the powers of, of evil, which appear to be very strong very big, very scary, like monsters. But in reality, we call this a kenosis, Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2 is saying that Jesus Christ emptied himself. Kenosis. Kenosis meaning that he's emptying himself of what? Glory. Because he's God. Right? So he he took the form of a servant. He left his throne, his kingdom in heaven and was incarnate and became man. So what, that, what does that mean for us? If I'm following the suffering servant, the true model, an example of service, what am I emptying myself of as a human being? Am I emptying myself of glory? My nature and my essence is not glory. I'm a fallen person. My condition is broken. I'm, I'm emptying myself of something very different. You know what it is? Pride. So God empties himself of glory, whereas the human person empties himself of pride in order to be servant. And keep, keep this all in your mind right now. Suffering servant, right? Look, look at how it's described. It's very descriptive. To serve is to suffer. 
it's not to feel comfortable or have convenience. And I think it's very appropriate to say this to a youth uh, Bible study, because a lot of us, again, were born in this, uh, this setting, and everything's convenient, and everything's easy. And if you're hungry, you go through a drive-thru. And if you're tired, you take a, a pill. And if uh, you, you need to buy something, you click something on the screen and you, it's on your door the next day. And we live in convenience. And, and everything is easy. By one thing or from one thing to the next, we find just ease and comfort. So we, we're kind of soft, right? In a way where if anything's uncomfortable, we get very agitated, frustrated. We feel like we're not as tough and rough. We're not maybe interested in going on a journey or a mission. Why? Because we're used to the comforts of life, right? So the servant isn't a rank. It isn't a position. The servant isn't a rank or a position, as we may have thought. Diakonos is a rank, right? You have deacon, you have priest, you have bishop. What if I told you the bishop and Sayyidina Halilni, forgive me, and Abuna, you know, as Abuna, I say this as well. The greatest of these ranks is the deacon because you don't lose the deacon. You don't, use, you don't lose the rank of service. It continues. You build on it. So the deacon is the foundation. Christ calls himself deacon. So I can gladly call myself deacon. But Christ is also priest, prophet, and king. He's priest, prophet, and king. He's all of that. But at the foundation, at the foundation, at the core of the church is this foundational idea, servant. And that never goes away. Can I uh, give you an example from the Coptic liturgical rites? The day I was ordained a priest, we have a ritual called Tawada. The right of humility. And what it is, is when the deacon becomes a priest, what happens is he still functions as a deacon, even though he just got ordained a priest. And what do I mean by that? He'll do a lot of the, the roles of a deacon to still kind of remind him, even though you are ordained a priest, you still at your core are a servant. So you have to remember to wash the feet. Remember to wash the feet. Don't ever stop washing the feet. So, every Christian is a priest, prophet, and king. Every Christian is endowed with this gift, this virtue that comes by their baptism and needs to be aware that they are carrying a burden. They are carrying a burden of crucifying the flesh. They want to under they we need to understand how Simon the Cyrene, remember this image? He carried the cross. Does he need to help Christ? I mean, this is God Almighty. But at the same time, God allows us to share in the service for our own benefit. Right? It wasn't for him, the, the Cyrene, but it was for Christ to share with us. Make us feel like we're doing something with him, even though he doesn't need me, right? And I think this is the beauty of the service. So 
we have to understand something so important about the service. Some of us have a Messiah complex. You know what I mean by that? When we serve, we think we're going to solve all the problems because I'm so ambitious, right? I want to be number one in the service. Remember just a few moments ago, it says, if you desire to be first, right? And whoever of you desires to be first, right? So be ambitious, right? Of the service. You shall be slave of all. Okay, but it, that's the irony. I want to be number one, but I have to be like the most lowly. I have to do something pretty radical to achieve that. And that's kind of where I'm trying to go with all of this, right? We have to understand this point that only Christ can carry the sins of the whole world. That's what we say. We say, O Lamb of God, Christ, who carries away the sins of the whole world. So when I carry a load as a servant in the church, I'm carrying it incorrectly if I'm harming myself by thinking I need to endure and carry the problems because I am going to be the solution. So this is where I like to say, put it on the altar. What do I mean by that? What do I mean by that? You go to the divine liturgy, should, should be on a weekly basis on Sunday, and you go to your room for prayers, should be on a daily basis. What I'm saying is we need to put our burdens, our sins, the people we serve, on Christ. We have to give it to him to carry. Because I can never carry all of that. And the apostles learned to be servants because they watched and imitated Christ. That's why. And this is what the Lord Jesus Christ told his disciples and his apostles. He said, if they hated me, they will hate you also. No servant is greater than his master. So we have to remember, with service, it's confusing because I'm trying to be great, but at the same time, I need to humble myself and empty myself of pride and be servant and slave to all. Somehow, I need to figure all of that out. What does the word disciple mean, though, in the Greek? You know, can you see this slide? It says, student. Mafitis, mafitis, in tr the translation, the best word is pupil or learner or student. And what does that imply or suggest? That if I am a student, that must mean there is a teacher. And who is the teacher? Christ is the teacher. School of Christ. I imagine that for any servant in the church, they have to go through a preparation program. And that preparation program is not just information of the faith or knowledge of the faith, but a very practical discipleship. These disciples, these apostles, they watched the Lord Jesus Christ for like three years straight. They saw the miracles. They saw how he dealt with everything. They heard what he taught. And what did they do? They imitated. Remember, they did all these miracles and they came back so happy. And then the Lord Jesus said, do not rejoice for this, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Right? We sometimes forget what Christ intended in our role as servant. Right? We get so caught up in the, the, the results and the, the outcomes of our service that we think 
wow, look, I did this great thing. And then we forget what we just really achieved, which is our names are written in heaven. This is more important. So how can I spiritually nourish others, right? If I'm not nourishing myself as a servant, we have to spend time in prayer. We have to spend time in the scripture. We have to spend time in discipleship with older servants and more experienced leaders in the church so that we can get more and more of that in our spiritual lives and feel nourished. We feed ourselves so that we could feed others. Starting small is necessary and important. So the first deacons, remember, in the book of Acts, they were appointed because the priests found themselves too busy with social things, right? And, and catering to tables and ministry of all these other things and social services. This is good. It's not a bad thing. But we need to delegate. And that's the point. And when they said, let's give this work over to others, you know what they said? They should be reputable men. They should be reputable people. What does that mean? Well, there's a criteria for the servant. And there's such a big, long list, right? Not, not, a, not a drunkard, husband of one wife, you know, taking care of his household, you know, and even for the bishop, there's criteria. There's a criteria. And that criteria applies to the servant because at the core, every Christian is a priest, prophet, king. And at the core, every Christian is a servant, a diakonos. So we have to be reputable. And I don't mean to say that as in let us show off. No, our reputation should precede us, which means I ought to do the best I can and to God be the glory. But I'm not trying to be a show off or showy, but that I should remember that my conduct and my behavior sends a message and it sends a clear message that, well, so-and-so is a servant in the church and look at how they conduct themselves, whether it be good or bad, right? It can be either way. And so what does this mean? All this means that we should be worthy. You know, I love the Greek word, axios. Axios means worthy. You know, we never say we're worthy. You know, if anyone says I'm worthy, they are unworthy. Can you agree to that? And if someone says I'm unworthy, then they are worthy. Why? Because the honor and the worthiness comes from above. It doesn't come from men. It doesn't come from being applauded or complimented. It comes from God. It comes from the hand of God. So we don't want to be a stumbling block at the end of the day. If we become a stumbling block, the service then becomes the opposite, a negative side of it all, where it could have been a great thing for me to be very close to God and have many great rewards in heaven, and my name would be written in heaven, or that my name might even now be blotted out from the book. And I want to share now um, another story. Another story, and I'm going to end with this, and then summarize it in 10 points, what I said. 
I'm sure you know of His Holiness Pope Shenouda III. He wrote this book called Release of the Spirit. And in the Release of the Spirit, there is a story called It Happened That Night. It's a beautiful story. And it's a like a fictional story, but it's filled with truth, where you have uh, this uh, servant. In, in the church, we call the Sunday school teacher a servant as well. And so his role in the church was to be a Sunday school teacher. He's uh, not really named, or he does have a name, but it slips my memory. And basically, he was awarded something called Servant of the Year. So there was like this, I don't want to say a contest, but basically Pope Shenouda is making a story about a servant in the church who serves Sunday school, who achieves, he's ambitious, right? He wants to be first, right? So what does he do? He gets the award called Servant of the Year. And in this story, we see how a good servant, quote unquote, good servant, because they won Servant of the Year, was a very ambitious servant, right? So he wants to be the greatest. So I'm assuming, oh, he must have been slave and servant to all. Oh, so you can do that, but still be not so great. And let's see how Pope Shenouda explains it. He says that basically one day after a long day of service in the church, this servant took a nap. He went home, took a nap. And in his nap, he had a very vivid and detailed dream where he basically died and his soul you know, ascended to heaven. And he wasn't able to go into this place called the city of the servants, which is the kingdom of heaven. Okay, He wasn't able to enter. So he was confused because what he's the servant of the year. On earth, he was servant of the year. Now he's having a dream and he thinks it's real, obviously. He thinks he's gone and he's being judged by God. And so the angels tell him, your name is not written here. You cannot enter. So he, he, he sobbed bitterly and wept bitterly because his whole life he thought he was serving faithfully. And then what happens? The angel takes him back to his life in memory, not in real life, but to review all the history of his service. Took him back to certain moments in his service and said, and he's looking at it in the third person. So he can see himself, right? Mistreating one of the kids in Sunday school who was obviously being a big pain and deserved to be maybe talked to firmly. But he took it a little far and he, uh, he yelled at him and he dismissed him from the class and the kids stopped coming to church. And it was just this one little hiccup. It was just this one little thing. And he saw it all unfolding in the dream. And he was now aware. He was now aware of how all of a sudden, like his arrogance was very clear. And his flaws began to show. And basically, he repented in the dream. He felt so sorry. And he woke up and his whole life changed forever. I hope we have one of those dreams. And I hope we can think about this. I want to conclude uh, so that we could give some time to discussion and questions. I want to conclude by saying, by now, we may be able to derive some of the roles and the impacts of a church servant, both good and bad. 
just for a quick review, here are 10 points that I came up with that I hope will benefit you. Number one, remember as a church servant, you have a master and that is Christ. Number two, be a servant to all and not to a select group of people. Don't, don't say I only serve these groups of people, this special group of people. My talent is this, so I don't do that. Can you imagine someone needing service and you say, I'm sorry, this is not my service? No. Serve all. Don't be partial. So that's two. Number three, serve the best you could without any expectation of an earthly acknowledgement or a reward. The best service is a secret service. Sayyidina was saying it in the prayer in the beginning. And unfortunately, sometimes I'm in the the spotlight too much and I lose this blessing. So we have to work extra hard to do secret service. Make sure you do your works, your good deeds in secret so that your father who is in heaven can reward you openly. Amen. Number four, Christ served humbly. Therefore, I should remain humble in the service in the church. If Christ served humbly, then I should serve humbly in the church. Number five, Learn from more experienced and senior servants. If you want to succeed in the service, put yourself under the care and the guidance of a very experienced and strong servant so that you can learn from them. Number six, expect suffering in the service and not comforts in the service number seven delegate work to those whom you serve don't just do everything share the load so people can take the blessing even if you think it's insignificant even if it's like something so simple yeah habibi go print this out for me uh do this for me just it's not you bossing over people no it's you're involving them and you're discipling them in the process and they feel great joy and happiness when they can do a small thing. Christ doesn't need us, but when we model Christ, then we become a true example of Christ in the service. So delegate the work to those whom you serve by letting them have a part in the blessing. Number eight, have a strong prayer life and give it all to God, especially during the divine liturgy. Give him all the problems in the liturgy and give him all the glory in the liturgy. Number nine, keep yourself as an example as a church servant. Make yourself an example and be reputable. Number 10 and final point, keep growing and learning as a servant of Christ in the church. Never stop learning, never stop saying, I made it, I achieved this, I achieved that, so I need to stop reading my Bible, stop attending, classes, stop uh, growing in my knowledge and my love for God, continue to grow in virtue. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one God, amen. This talk was brought to you by Upper Room Media. We hope that this talk has, through the grace of God, touched your heart. And we pray that it will not only inform you, but will also transform you and your life with Christ.